tomorrow, typically, uh, on this day, the first Thursday in May, is designated as the National Day of Prayer. And at our church, for years and years and years, we have been hosting a luncheon on the National Day of Prayer on that day, and we invite community leaders, we invite several in our church family, business leaders, um, some civil servants. We invite them to come, and we eat lunch together. We have a brief challenge from God's Word. We always have something patriotic. And then we have a season of prayer where we pray for our elected officials. We pray for our community leaders, our public servants, our men and women in uniform. And then we we seek the Lord, seek the face of God. And we pray for personal and national revival. That's been on my mind lately. Obviously, we're not able to meet corporately for church. Certainly, that means for a a day of prayer event, we're not able to gather. So tonight, I wanted us as, as a church family to focus our thoughts and our attention on our relationship with our nation. What does it mean to you to be not just an American citizen, but a Christian citizen. When you, when you think about that, those two words, a Christian and a citizen, what goes through your mind? I, I understand, and I want you to really think with me just a moment. I am very grateful. I wouldn't want to be of any other nationality. I, that is not demeaning of any other nation or group around the world. I am grateful to be an American. But hear me carefully. There is nothing innately about me that makes me better than anyone else on the face of this earth. I am not better than anyone else because of my nationality. I am not more favored by God because I'm an American as opposed to someone else. I am not more spiritual. I am not closer to God because I'm an American as opposed to some other nationality. My dear friend, I am afraid that in our quest to be good patriots and good Americans, we have lost sight of what it means to truly be a Christian and a Christian citizen. In the news right now, in social media, certainly, and in the talk and buzz around our county, eastern North Carolina, this idea of bureaucratic overreach and unconstitutional restrictions and all that is being discussed right now. And sometimes it's very easy as a Christian to get bothered and to get disgruntled and to get discontented because of these restrictions that have been placed over us. And I'll go ahead and testify that many of these restrictions I don't appreciate. <laughs> I don't like. I, I'm, I'm ready for some things to go back to normal. But can I say this to you? Other than gathering at church that most of the things that perturb me about the restrictions are nothing more than conveniences. I want us to be very biblical 
and think through these issues and look at it from a truly scriptural context. Not just an American context, not just from Eastern North Carolina, not just the good old boy approach, but from the biblical perspective. What does it mean to be a good Christian and a good citizen? This passage in 1 Timothy chapter 2 is not necessarily in its context an overtly patriotic passage. But there are principles in it that shed light on you and I as believers in an attitude, a posture that we are to take that will bleed into our lives as good Christians and good citizens. Again, not taking this these verses out of context at all. I want us to examine the principles that are given in these verses, verses 1 through 4, here in 1 Timothy chapter 2. Obviously, we know that 1 Timothy, just like 2 Timothy and Titus, they are pastoral epistles. The Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, was writing to Timothy, this, this pastor. And Timothy was probably in his 30s, some say even in his 40s. Some even considered him to be inexperienced and a novice. And his, his predecessor, his mentor in the ministry, his father in the faith, his father in the ministry, Paul, was sharing divine wisdom with him and divine instruction. Uh, many commentators say that chapter 2, verse 1, is dealing with corporate prayer in the church. I can see how that would apply, although that is not overtly stated. So let's just dive in here. Let's jump into verse 1. Follow along with me in your Scripture. I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for all that are in authority. Now notice this that we as Christians, we as followers of Christ, that we who profess to know the Lord, we who are supposed to be spiritually minded individuals, that we might lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. Verse 3, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who would have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So let's examine these verses. I want you to understand this evening that a good Christian will seek to be a good citizen. A good Christian will seek to be a good citizen. Those two things are not mutually exclusive. Obviously, I understand what we learn in the book of Acts where the apostle Simon Peter said that when it comes to a fork in the road where we have to choose to obey God or obey the laws of men, we certainly will obey God. It is better to obey God rather than men. But there is a, there is, there is a companion biblical principle to that 
principle as well, and that is that God gave civil government in Romans 13. It's very crystal clear, verses 1 through 7. God gave government to be a help to good people and good citizens. And that it is our responsibility when there are laws given that do not conflict with the law of God, we are under divine obligation to follow the laws of the land. I was reading recently and someone made a comparison and said that the law restricting seatbelt usage and requiring seatbelt usage, they, they said, this was written from a Christian perspective, and they said that that law was an example of bureaucratic overreach. And that they deemed that that law could be unconstitutional. <laughs> well, friends, can I say this? Again, this is not a political statement at all. But it was almost as if this individual was laying out a case and saying that it was a violation of individual rights for the law of the land to require that we wear seatbelts in our vehicles. Almost like that our rights by God were being infringed upon. Let me just say this. I am afraid that in our culture that we have become so keen on self-indulgence and the pursuit of ease and affluence that we have, we have, we have mistaken the pursuit of liberty with the pursuit of indulgence. We have become selfish. We have become soft. We, we have become petty even with our expectations. And it's almost like, if we're not careful, friend, that we as American Christians think that the American dream is some kind of biblical mandate. Mandated in Scripture. And I want to say, it is not, that is not the case. There are mandates in Scripture that do talk about liberty. They talk about, uh, freedom. They talk about, uh, God-given privileges that He's given to us. But this concept of the American dream and this 2020 model that we think is our birthright as Americans, hear me, dear friend, that is not a biblical mandate. We have somehow become very self-centered. We have become... Uh, we, we have deified the American dream we have, we have elevated, I'm afraid, this, this quest for possessions and for material things and for outward success. Our pursuit as Christians, it seems, is no longer Christ. No longer the Lord. No longer I'm following hard after God. No longer like the heart of David where he said, as the deer pants after the water brook, so pants my soul after Thee, O God. We've substituted gold for God. We're pursuing wealth, not the living Word. We're going after things, not truth. 
That is not to say, that is not to say that there is a sinful, uh, uh, sinful aspect to owning things and to having things. Oh dear friend, no, not at all. Some of the wealthiest people in scripture were some of the godliest. That is not the point. It is not the fact that we have things or we don't have things. That is not the measure of greatness. That is not the measure of someone's spirituality. That's not even the point. The point is though, ladies and gentlemen, in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ in 2020, I'm afraid we have, we have gotten way, way far away from understanding what it means to be a true good citizen in a nation. And I want you to know that that, 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 that transcends nationality. So I could be preaching this message today and these three b- biblical principles that we're about to understand could be applied to someone in China. It could be applied to someone in France. It could be applied to someone in Ecuador. It doesn't matter the nation. These are biblical principles on what it looks like if you are a good Christian and a good citizen. So let me give you these three principles from this text. First of all, bear with me. A good Christian citizen, a good Christian citizen engages in prayer for all people. A good Christian citizen engages in prayer for all people. Look at verse 1. Paul says, I, I want to exhort you. I strongly urge you. I admonish you. I give you this advice. First of all, that supplications, notice the wording, supplications, prayer, intercessions, and giving of thanks should be made for all people. In other words, God says, as Christian citizens, I want you to pray for all people. Think about that just a minute. I want you to intercede for people. I want you to make supplication. I want you to come to God on the behalf of other people. I want you to bring their needs and their names, their issues before the throne of God in prayer. You pray for all people. Well, CP, wait a minute. Really, all people? No, he, he, he says all people. All men. Is anyone excluded from that? Well, no, because he says all men. You pray for all people. Pray for your neighbors, even the ones that don't like you. Even the ones that get on your nerves, even the ones that have loud parties late at night. (laughs) And they wake you up. Even the ones who, when they're uh, doing yard work, they they get get over on your side of the property line and they mess up your grass. Even those people. Even those people that you, they seem to be rude and hateful and ugly and you wave at them and they turn their nose up at you and snub you. Those people, pray for all men. How about the, how about the people in our culture that, 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 that we don't like and they don't seem to like us and we disagree with them philosophically, theologically. God said you pray for all people. Pray for everyone. Then it's interesting. He says, and you give thanks to God for all people. Now wait a minute. It's one thing to pray for people. It's another thing to give thanks to God for them. Yes, 
What is he teaching here? Well, friend, he's teaching not a posture and disposition of hostility. And I find so many Christians today, it's easy to develop this if we're not careful, so many of us have this disposition of hostility. We're easily offended, hostile to people. God says, no, 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 that's not how I want you to live. I want you not to be hostile to people, but I want you to have a, a, a disposition, a posture of humility, one of goodwill toward others, giving of thanks for all people. Lord, Lord, I thank you for my name. I thank you for this person. And then he gets very specific. He says for kings and for those in authority. Let's apply that right now to where we live. Who does that Obviously, it applies to political leaders. <laughs> How about the ones I don't like? How about the ones I disagree with? How about the ones that are of a different party affiliation? Yeah, them too. I'm commanded by the Lord to pray for our officials, our leaders, our elected officials. Pray for them. I'm looking right into the camera right now. I wonder how many of us genuinely, genuinely, three years ago, prayed, or four years ago, genuinely prayed for President Obama. You're like, I tell you what, Christian, I ain't, I ain't prayed for him. Why? Because he's democratic? Why? Because you don't like his skin color? You see, we don't get to cherry pick, ladies and gentlemen, who we pray for. You mean pray for Pelosi? Yeah, that's what God said. You mean pray, uh, pray for those in Congress, uh, that are, that, that are crazy and I mean just making all these, trying to block everything? Yes, pray for them. We don't get to pick and choose. God says you pray for everybody. And you pray specifically for those in authority. Think about who was in authority when Paul was alive. No doubt Nero. Nero. Do some research on Nero, friend. He hated Christians. He used Christians. Hung their bodies in his garden and lit them up at night just to light his garden with these human bodies of believers. And God said, you pray for him. A good Christian citizen engages in prayer for all people. Number two, a good Christian citizen exhibits genuine integrity. Notice verses 2 and 3. He said, let me tell you why we do this. So that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life. And then he goes on and he says, in all godliness and honesty, live a life of integrity. Jesus talked about that we are going to experience tribulation, we are going to experience persecution, but let's make sure it's for righteousness' sake not because we're being rebellious. Let's make sure that it's not because we're being intentionally troublesome, 
but because we're just following the Lord. Live honest. Don't be a busybody. Don't stick your nose in other people's business where it doesn't belong. In all quietness, in all peaceableness, if at all possible, Romans says, let's live peaceably with all men in godliness and honesty. Live a life of integrity. Most of us, friend, honestly, right now, we're not going to get in trouble just by doing right. We're not going to get fined. We're not going to have lawsuits brought against us. We're not going to be held off to jail for doing righteous things. Most of us will not right now. That certainly will come later on down the road. I do believe that persecution will be intensified. But right now, that's not our main issue. God says, I want you to live godly. We have an integrity crisis right now. Not a freedom crisis. He says that this, that when God looks at this, He said, this is good and acceptable to God. The word good there is the word beautiful. He says, I want you to know God thinks this is beautiful. Have you ever seen a wonderful scene of nature or whatever, maybe an ocean scene, a mountain scene or whatever, and you said, man, that is beautiful. You know what God says? When He sees you and me living by integrity, He says, this is beautiful. He says, this is acceptable, this is agreeable to God purpose in your heart tonight, friend, that by the help of the Holy Spirit, we're going to live lives of obedience and integrity. You see, a good Christian citizen engages in prayer for all people. A good Christian citizen exhibits genuine integrity. Number three, and finally, as we close, a good Christian citizen expresses the Father's heart for the lost. Listen carefully. Notice verse 4. Paul said that God, our God, our Savior, would have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So what does that mean, Christian? That means that God wants all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. I said just a moment ago that the American dream is not a biblical mandate. But you know what is? Evangelism. You know what is? Sharing Jesus and sharing the gospel. And we have, we have put the Father's desire, the Father's passion for souls, we've put that on the back burner. We have. We have. Most of the men and women in our church get more hyped about promotions and trips and perks and possessions than we do about evangelizing the lost. Shame on us. Shame on me. You see, the Father's heart beats for the lost. Does mine? Does yours? I close tonight and I want us to pray. I want you to remember Second Chronicles 7.14. If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. As blessed and highly favored as our nation has been, would you not agree that there is an overwhelming need today, dear friend, for that divine healing, that forgiveness, that divine help? 
So tonight as we close, let's seek the face of God. I urge you to seek the Lord. I urge you to pray for our national leaders, for our President Trump, Vice President Pence, our Supreme Court, our Senate, our House of Representatives, our men and women in uniform, our public servants, our city and county officials, our Mayor Chuck Allen, our Police Chief Mike West, our Wayne County Sheriff Larry Pierce, our City Councilman, our County Commissioners, our Governor Cooper, our Lieutenant Governor Forrest, our State Legislature, our business and community leaders, our area pastors. Right now as families, let's pause, let's stop, let's pray. And ask God on the eve of this National Day of Prayer that He would help us to be good Christian citizens. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, help us to repent of our pride, our bitterness, our lack of forgiveness, our secret sins, our racism, our greed, our hatefulness. Baptize us in humility and in repentance as we seek your face. In Jesus' name, amen.